Welcome to the Access VFX podcast, pursuing inclusion, diversity, awareness, and opportunity in VFX, animation, and games industries. Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, founder and director of Access VFX, bringing the visual effects, animation, and games industry together, working towards a shared goal to make our industry more diverse and inclusive by taking action rather than just talking about it. So this episode, we're going to be talking about neurodiversity. Um, Based on feedback from last year's mental health episode, we were asked to record a part two, but uh, with more of a focus on neurodiversity. And to the the uneducated, dare I say, uh, neurodiverse or neurodiversity or neurodivergent, they they do feel quite buzzwordy, if that's fair to say. Um, But they do refer to the infinite variation in cognitive functioning that can lead to differences in thinking, attention and memory. So ultimately, it refers to a community of people who have um, uh, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD, perhaps on the autism spectrum or have other neurological functions. So um, I will be using the term neurodiverse and all its variations just for the, the sake of ease and conversation and free-flowing discussion that we always have on these uh, these episodes. Um, so I hope that's cool with everybody on the, on the call. Um, so before we um, we get started, I thought we should do some introductions. Um, so with me in uh, in London, I've got uh, Hayden and Joel, who I'll let you I'll let them introduce themselves shortly. And then on the line, uh, all the way from uh, France, we have Pierre Marcantonio from Blue Spirit. But I thought if I ask uh, the the gents next to me to introduce themselves first, talk a bit about what they do, and then uh, we have Pierre in France. We've got some feedback issues we'll work work through. We've got him on WhatsApp, so uh, apologies in advance, but we'll we'll, we'll get it, we'll handle it in the edit and the uh, in post-production. And we have Grace here, but producer Grace here as well, um, who's going to be manning the board. So uh, to my left, uh, Hayden, do you want to say hello and, uh, and talk a bit about what you do at The Mill? Hi, I'm Hayden. I'm a technical artist at The Mill. I uh, do a lot of real-time stuff, be it Unreal, Unity, Spark AR. Um, yeah, that's me. Cool. Uh, I'm Joel, and I work at Framestore as an assistant technical director, where I work closely with production and CG Soups if they've got any issues and help them sort it out. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. And on the call, we have uh, Pierre. Pierre, would you like to introduce yourself? So, well, my name is Pierre uh, Marcantonio. So, uh, I am a layout artist in a Blue Spirit studio based in Angoulême in France. Amazing. So um, I thought a good start would be to, before we get into why you volunteer to be on this podcast, um, it'd be good to know what you do. So for example, Joel, you said you're an assistant technical director, but it'd be good to understand a bit more about what your day-to-day involves. So could you explain a bit more about your day in the life? Yeah, it's quite hard to say what I do on a daily routine because I don't, I get requests in like almost daily like different right. things like uh, they want stuff sent sending to the client so they ask me to do that if they want certain things changed how they want think formatted they ask me so it's whatever they need that pops up okay. so it's like sort of in the dark most of the time so no day's the same really yeah classic visual <laughs> effects studio mm-hmm. absolutely what about you Hayden tell me a bit about your day to day you work in the creative technology team which is a very different yes. world to Joel's right um, so our team's quite dynamic and because of what I do I tend to switch between more developer oriented like coding, visual coding side of things to the more artist side, modelling, texturing um, but my day to day tends to be try and get whatever project work I'm on across various projects and then 
try and catch any snafus that might pop up on the technical side What's of the What's a snafu? Stuff. So <laughs> um, if someone's modeling or texturing and they're having problems with getting stuff from, say, Substance Painter into Unreal, their roughness channels aren't looking correct, or someone needs a little tool to make like a tunnel flowing along, okay. then I'll just whip something out for them. Okay, thank you. Cheers. And uh, Pierre, um, tell us a bit about what you do. Is what's your yeah? What does a layout artist do at Blue Spirit? Uh, as a layout artist, at my task is to use a storyboard to create a, a shot in a CG software. Uh, in that case, uh, I use a, a software Autodesk. It's called a, a 3ds Max. Uh, with this, I stage the characters, props, and a background uh, drawings, and of course, the camera because the camera. This is the golden rule uh, for this task. Uh, and once I do this, uh, I launch a preview in a video uh, uh, available in QuickTime. And, uh, and if the shot is, uh, uh, is just corrected, if I'm corrected by uh, my uh, layout chief and uh, the director, uh, it will be sent to uh, the CG animator. So um, why did you volunteer to be on this podcast? The reason I'm asking this question is um, uh, at the mill, for example, I sent the usual kind of all-staff email and only Hayden replied. Uh, so thank you, Hayden. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a representative from the mill here, but, um, apart from me, of course. Um, but Hayden, um, tell me a bit about you know, what, uh, or, you know, what, what drove you to attend this particular recording and why you volunteered to be on this podcast. Mostly, I just wanted to like get a message out there to people that might be struggling or have gone through similar issues that you know when you're twelve and everything seems really frustrating mm. and you're sat at your kitchen table with your parents like crying going, "I can't do it yeah that you've just got to be stubborn and try tackling things from different approaches and okay. do things differently to the way a, a non neurodiverse person might. And it does get better. Mm. It does get easier. Okay. And how do, uh, I hope you don't mind, but what, what, what is your neurodiversity? You know, what's your neuro, neurodiverse traits? I have dyspraxia and I also have anxiety. Right, okay. Um, I think dyspraxia is probably the main focus one for this podcast. Um, mm. And it's a, it's a coordination disorder, but it also affects things like my ability to organize and plan mm. and also... Um, it's got a social component, so some emotional stuff is difficult and some communication, things like eye contact and that sort of thing. Yeah, okay. We're doing a fine job on this, uh, <laughs> on this, on this podcast. Thank you, Hayden. So about you, Joel, why did you volunteer? From uh, I, I think I might have volunteered you through Amy Smith. but um, Yeah, I sort of the same reason. I think it's important for people to learn how to cope and like how people else like who don't have to look after should learn how to cope with this as well. Mm-hmm. Like how to sort of like calm people down or make them yeah. feel better. And I think that's quite, I think both are quite important um, uh, rationales for, for coming today because uh, I think we originally pitched this episode as a, uh, for our VFX community, people who are working in industry who may not have disclosed a, a neurodivergent uh, condition or, or trait um, or people might be suffering in silence, similar to what we did last year with our mental health uh, podcast episode. Uh, but also I think there's something here for parents as well. I think parents of young children who are maybe going through the, the 12-year-old struggles that, 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 that you had, Hayden, for sure. Um, Joel, do you mind me asking what your, uh, your neurodiversity is? Yeah, so uh, I have Asperger's syndrome. Okay. So, it, so it's sort of... It's a mild form of autism where it's mainly for me, it's like process of information. Okay. So if everyone comes to me all at the same time, it sort of 
gets hard to process really mm-hmm. so and um, then I'm well not panic but yeah. it sort of like gets uncomfortable it's quite me. clouded um, and bearing in mind your role sounds like people coming at you all of the time in many ways yeah so I, I sort of like try to grow out of it yeah so I sort of sometimes change myself sometimes don't if it gets too um, overwhelming I like to like step back for a moment and just calm myself down yeah okay thank you Joel um, and then Pierre on the call. Um, I'm interested to hear why you uh, volunteered. I know you were, again, vo- you were volunteered by a, a third party, Emmerich in uh, Framestore Montreal, um, who's a big part of Access VFX. Um, and I know you were very keen to be involved, but I'd, I'd be keen to understand why you were, you were so keen. I, was, uh, I just uh, volunteered to be on this podcast because uh, I believe that everyone must know uh, what uh, neurodiversity is all about. Yeah. And absolutely important and even urgent uh, to do it. Uh, simply just because neurodiversity uh, includes everyone. In the other words, neurodiversity is fully inclusive concept. For my condition, uh, uh, personally, I am an autistic Asperger. Okay. Now that we understand a bit about your motivations for being on, the, on this podcast episode, I'm interested to hear about what are some of the misconceptions or stereotypes you have to deal with. So, for example... Um, there's the kind of classic Rain Man um, uh, assumption around autism where there's an expectation you're some kind of genius. You know, whenever we talk about any form of neurodiversity, it's your, you know, amazing mathematical equations and you're some kind of Einstein. Um, so they're all the stereotypes, probably mine because I went on a bit there. But um, what for you are some of the, 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 the misconceptions that people have? And this is a, a, a question for anybody sitting around the table or, or on, the, on the line. Well, uh, well, about uh, misconception uh, and uh, stereotypes uh, and the assumption. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, those uh, words uh, like a genius. Uh, this is uh, not correct for everyone, but uh, nevertheless, uh, indeed, uh, there are genius people uh, uh, who uh, also are neurodiventions, uh, just like Alan Turing or Albert Einstein. Uh, but, uh, but we must understand that not everyone. Uh, uh, it's a genius. Uh, uh, besides uh, uh, any other word uh, uh, than a genius, uh, I think some uh, words uh, just like uh, mental patient, sick, uh, weird, uh, crazy. Uh, well, this is uh, this is usual, but, uh, but this is not correct uh, for my person. Mm-hmm. So there's quite a lot of negative language associated with neurodiverse conditions, um, even the word condition. I mean, I'm trying, I mean, we had a conversation here earlier where I was going to attempt to remove the word condition because it almost makes you feel uh, special. Um, and it's the same with kind of like ASD where, with the word disorder or ADHD, which has two negative words in deficit and disorder. I mean, is that as bigger problem around, is that connected to the stereotypes and misconceptions that people had? Because it feels like some kind, there's something wrong and actually... I mean, to Pierre's point, um, neuro, neurodiversity, everybody has elements of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, anxiety. People have anxiety. People have stresses, you know, I mean, varying levels, of course. But do you think that the, the negative language doesn't help? Well, um, this, uh, indeed, this negative language, uh, just like this other, uh, indeed, uh, this is uh, uh, such a very negative language uh, it can be a dangerous for a neurodiventure people uh, because this is uh, a too much medical word. Uh, yes. Like yeah. a disorder. But 
uh, instead of uh, saying uh, this order, I would uh, I would say a life form, uh, a personal tradition uh, to make a much more um, what can I say a much more social uh, word. Yeah, thank you, Pierre. Um, Joel, you were going to pipe in. Yeah, I was going to say it's. I think it's important because uh, like some people like you say you got like autism or something. Uh, people might then associate the word disorder and then like, oh God, yeah. we've got to like look after him or yeah. her. And then sort of like, and then they don't then start wanting to put that effort in, so to speak. Okay. Not, well, not effort, but they don't want to, they just might view it as more work. So, so they avoid it maybe. They avoid yeah. interacting, is that fair to say? Or um, Yeah, sometimes. Interesting. Is that something you have to consider? I mean, are you, have you, are you disclosed at the mill, Hayden, in terms of your... Uh, dyspraxia do people are people aware um i think uh, my department's aware um but i'm quite lucky that it only really affects me in terms of the like planning organization mm. side of things uh, as far as work goes um having a coordination disorder is a lot easier with modern tech yeah. i don't have to do a lot of writing or um fine motor movements that i don't have like a keyboard for or the yeah. new Wacom tablets are right, more okay. precise and that sort of thing um, so yeah uh, as long as no one's like throwing stuff at me out of nowhere and yeah. I have to catch it I'm usually good <laughs> get it done right um, so we're still on the subject of uh, stereotypes so uh, as Pierre said you know there's the the genius tag and uh, you know there's some historic examples of, of, uh, of geniuses who, 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 who subscribe to a new neurodivergent um, I'm going to say condition because I'm running out of uh, metaphors and adjectives. Um, and uh, as, as as Joel said, you know, there's almost, I'm going to say, people almost avoid interacting because they think they're dealing with somebody who needs babysitting or mollycoddling in a way. Um, Hayden, for, uh, with dyspraxia and, 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 your, um, and what, your, what your condition is, I mean, what, uh, what kind of uh, assumptions and stereotypes do you kind of feel you get branded with occasionally or all the time? Clumsy is the is the big one. Really? Um, where it's like, if I've knocked something over, it's because mm. I don't have a very good connection between my hand and my brain, and All I right. know what I'm aiming for, but it doesn't always go one right. to one. Um, but it's it's like people treat it as more like you know, I just concentrate when you're trying to pick that thing up, yeah. or like you know, the whole like don't take your eye off the ball right. when you're playing sports. It's like. Oh, I was watching it all the way until it hit me in the face. <laughs> it's like slow motion. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's stuff that you can do, um, like training exercises and drills to make that stuff yeah. a lot easier. Um, I did ballet for a few years and then gymnastics oh, wow. at university, and it helped a tremendous amount. Okay. Um, yeah. In terms of, so that's a great example of um, solutions and, and training and communicating as well. I mean, Joel, uh, when, you have, when you have to deal with people who properly avoid interacting, as we said earlier, um, how do you communicate to that, the world you work in that actually, hey, I, you don't need to do that? If I, so I could sometimes say the wrong, not the wrong thing, but I might slip up and say something that I shouldn't. Yeah. But um, I don't want, I, I like people to tell me that I said the wrong thing, so I learn from that, and like, okay, I shouldn't say that. Right. And then, um, it's like, but also, because I was actually more introverted rather than voiceless. Yeah. So, um, before, like, I got my first job, I started volunteering 
in like a charity shop. So I, I got experience like speaking to new people, oh, like because okay. they um, put me on a till because um, the manager actually knew me personally. So um, she knew what I had and then like encouraged me to go on a till, like speak to new people, mm. like come in. So I interacted with people like while working on a till in this charity shop. So charity shop was like your visual effects boot camp. Uh, yeah. yeah, in many yeah. ways, tra- training camp. That's really interesting. I mean, the point you raised about um, you, know, you might slip up, you know, you might make mistakes. I mean, everybody does that, right? I mean, to okay. Pierre's point around everybody has, you know, anxieties, everybody has neurodiversity, you know, depending on, you know, the, uh, the, the, the severity of it. Um, but, you know, we're learning all the time, right? I mean, I say the wrong things all the time on this podcast all the time I mean I, you know, I have no filter do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I, I probably should get some feedback from Grace I mean she does get me I mean, the, whoever's producing this podcast always go no cut but you know we, we all make mistakes we all drop the ball we all have to learn from feedback do you think people don't give because you know, if I get something wrong at work I'll probably get told right if you get something wrong at work do you think people avoid giving you feedback because they know that you because I because I was talking about like coming on here with people's work yeah and like they didn't they had no idea that i was really well wow. because they really didn't really notice it yeah but um i think but like sometimes uh like people sort of brush it aside like if they actually know that um someone's like has um this kind of disorder yeah they might push it aside like uh, it's um yeah it's who they are type of thing rather than like okay don't say that because um yeah. they won't learn from it and then when someone doesn't realise it and then they say the same thing, they might end up hurting someone. Yeah. It's a hard one, isn't it? But you still want to learn from feedback, like anybody, uh, yeah. right? Any, any professional person that's kind of honing their craft, mm-hmm. you know, which must be frustrating. Uh, yeah. And sort of like going back to the genius tag. Mm. So I, I've actually had the opposite because where I have trouble processing information, it might take me some time to process that information. So some people might think I'm actually slow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. As well. But really you're just... A genius. I think it's more. <laughs> Sorry. I think it's more of a memory. It's like yeah. I have a really decent memory. Like I can remember things that. Yeah. It's like I bring up with my mum and dad, and like, how do you remember that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But again, it's like, this is people's assumptions. This is purely based in stereotypes, isn't it? It must be hugely frustrating. For I think, uh, Pierre, do you have any anything to add to that? I'm very aware that I can't see you, so I don't want to leave you out of this this conversation. Well, uh, I think I. Um I don't work uh, exactly uh, in the same way uh, because, uh, as we say, in a neurodiverse, uh, neurodiversity, uh, not uh, no one uh, uh, works uh, on the same way. Uh, everyone has a personal solution. Uh, as part of me, uh, I don't have uh, any difficulties by uh, uh, by catching uh, some information, but it depends on what kind of subject uh, I take. I don't have uh, the same experience and, uh, about genius. Uh, personally, I, I'm not a, a genius, but, uh, but I just uh, catch information uh, in a different way. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I've got a great quote here from uh, the author Malcolm Gladwell, who best summed it up when he spoke about the power of what he calls desirable difficulties, which I quite like, um, rather than neurodiversity. And his quote is, uh, we see so many entrepreneurs who have dyslexia. When you talk to them, they will tell you that they succeeded not in spite of it, but because of it. 
So my question is, does your neurodiversity give you an advantage at work? Do you think, you know, when we talk about, even when we talk about disability in the UK, for example, uh, uh, Channel 4, call them superpowers you know whatever your disability is it's actually turning it into something that is an advantage um i've spoken to a number of people um who have various uh, impairments who have said that frustrates them because they're not to the conversation we're having here um that they're not superhuman you know they they you know sleep through their alarm they you know, you know i mean they're just human beings and is that something i mean uh, my question is do you feel you have an advantage with your neurodiversity or is it frustrating when people assume that you have these abilities, you know, like X-Men or women? Well, um, neurodiversity uh, on my side uh, just give me an advantage for my work. Uh, but <laughs> with uh, some, uh, some words uh, with, uh, like a superhero, this is a little exaggerating. Uh, I want to quote uh, Greta Thunberg's words. Uh, uh, my uh, autistic condition is a superpower. Uh, that doesn't mean uh, she uh, has a, a superpower uh, like that. Uh, that's the way to say uh, she can uh, adapt her own condition uh, about many subjects and uh, uh, environmental uh, uh, grounds uh, she uh, where she has not really difficulties, but this is not really a, about the superpower. Uh, this is an interpretation, uh, just to say uh, we are a, we have a, some kind of a, uh, we can do it with ease uh, uh, in some uh, something. Uh, in my work, uh, this is the case. Uh, this is not a superpower, but this is a a, a, a good condition for me uh, because uh, my job. As a layout artist, uh, give me some advantages uh, thanks uh, thanks to uh, my uh, my visual perception uh, with my brain. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a, a really good advantage uh, yeah. uh, for a, a layout artist because I uh, I can get uh, many details, uh, many more than neurotypical. Uh, that is a good uh, advantage by uh, framing uh, uh, shot by shot. Uh, by framing a, a character uh, according to the storyboard or wanted. And, well, there are many uh, uh, favorable uh, options for me. Uh, but neurodiversity uh, can be, uh, well, uh, a very good environment, uh, mm -hmm. including in the CG animation. Uh, and I want to quote, uh, uh, for example, uh, another uh, a CG um, a short animated film called Loop, uh, made by Victor. Mm -hmm. uh, with this, uh, you, this is a very good example uh, if you understand uh, correctly how uh, neural uh, different people work. Well, this is uh, another uh, subject, but uh, that join uh, the fact that uh, uh, there are uh, advantages and uh, and these are the changes uh, for any uh, neurodivergent people. But as for me, uh, I don't have uh, many difficulties uh, mm. in my job, uh, including for a neurodiversity. Sounds like you, it's the right the right yeah. role for you, right? Yeah, we can say that. Okay, thank you, Pierre. Thank, thank you, you. Um, thank you, Joel. You were going to say something about your role. I mean, we talked earlier about how you're able to recall minutia and lots of information. Do you, do you find that's an advantage for the work that you do as an ATD? 
Um, yeah, because like sometimes they, because we got get like so diverse jobs and yeah. then, like from so many different people, it sort of like helps to remember like okay, I'm doing this for this person, this mm. for that person. But as, but um, at the same time, it I don't really think it's a superpower. Yeah, because um, I think it's more literal. Like this person told me to do this, so I'm gonna do yeah. it. Yeah, it's like it's when someone goes, okay, be at this time. I prefer to be early, but I got someone. I got one of my friends has also got Asperger's syndrome, and he will if he turned to be at me at this train station at ten thirty, he'll arrive on ten thirty on the dot because someone told him to be there at that time. So it's literally literal. Yeah, li- yeah. literal. So, so if he arrived early, he probably would not turn up early. He would it'd be, walk around the block and yeah. It's like I arrive like five ten minutes early just to be sure, but he he will rock up at dead on bang on. So it's sort of like. So in that sense, it's kind of predictable, but mm. it's. Yeah, but as I said, I don't think it's a superpower. It's more like just literal because someone told you to. It's just good practice, isn't it? In mm. my in my view, I mean, if you think about going on shoots, I mean, they the, the I've been told that you know the coach leaves at five a.m. If you're not mm. on it at five a.m., the coach is gone. You're not you're not on yeah. the shoot right as a visual effects supervisor. So actually, mm. from a, I, I agree with you. It's not a superpower. It's just uh, good practice. Yeah, because uh, it's like some people say, oh, how are you get so good at timekeeping? It's like you told me to meet yeah exactly yeah you know uh, that's something that's been built in me you know you know you you arrive early i mean my, that's my rule of thumb is i arrive early and you know i'll go and sit in starbucks or other coffee places are available by the way i'll sit in a coffee shop um but anyway um uh, don't want to leave hayden out you know what's your view on on the the superpower thing the you know the, the advantage the edge do you feel you have it at the mill i think with a lot of it it's swings and roundabouts um i take ages to do my morning routine because I still find it hard to tie my own shoelaces. Yeah, um, which is why I've got these Velcro straps. Nice. Um, very back very to the trendy. Future of you. Um, but then, because everything was so difficult until I'd gotten over almost every single mechanical thing, and even speaking to people, writing, uh, mm. processing information um, in various ways, talking to more than one person at a time. Um, my problem solving got really, really sharp. Yeah. Because everything was a problem, you get faster and faster at tackling things and thinking about things in a way that other people might not approach the situation in that way. Because most people will do, you know, A, B, C, and it works for them. But because it doesn't work for me, I look at things differently, which I think is why I fell into the position that I'm in, in between the art and the tech and a really problem-solving oriented yeah. role. So it's more like learnt behaviour because you had to. I mean, you you talked about being 12, getting frustrated yeah. as a child. I imagine from there, there on in, you are adapting and, and, and putting, yeah, it's a problem-solving, it's a creative, an early creative role that you have really in terms yeah. of approaching everything. That's interesting. So actually you do have the edge in many ways because you take you don't take anything for granted. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely an edge in some aspects. Um, you still need your Velcro straps in the morning. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Cool. Um, so I want to just talk briefly about, because I think we've touched on challenges in terms of some of the stereotypes and the the the, the assumptions around uh, neurodiversity. But are there any other challenges that you come up against? Any other challenges that you want to get across? Because I'm aware we've probably got about 15 minutes of, of podcast time left uh, on, on, on this episode. So I don't want to leave anything out that we, you feel that are our swathes of listeners would would benefit from because clearly we're you know top 10 podcast right but um 
Yeah, are there any challenges you want to talk about? Anything you come across, Joel? I think it's more like uh, spotting it. I think more because uh, when I was at uh, prime, primary school is when I got uh, diagnosed with it. Mm-hmm. But because I was more quiet yeah. rather than boisterous, like the common stereotype okay. with like someone with autism, like they're boisterous, they talk a lot. It's like I was more quiet, more introverted. Like I, it's like I would rather interact with a few close friends rather than the entire class. Mm. And then if it weren't for like a keen eye teacher who spotted this odd behaviour, I wouldn't have been diagnosed. Mm. So um, I think it's like more like don't always go by the stereotype. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so kind of spotting it early. So how how old were you then? Primary school age? So yeah, so about nine years old. Nine years old. Like it's sort of, yeah, nine, yeah, trying to remember. And I imagine once you've identified it or been diagnosed, then you can put in place, you know, the, yeah. Um, yeah, because like, it's like my mum and dad had to, not so much as adapt, because they, uh, but like my mum and dad would say, okay, I'll be with you in a minute. And then they had to learn that um, I would, li- as I said earlier, I would take that literal and right. then literally wait a minute and they go, okay, where are you? And then right. it's like, so they had to adapt, like, okay, I'll be with you once I finish this thing. Interesting. Okay. What about you, Hayden? Um, I wasn't diagnosed until I was in secondary school. Um, so I just had multiple trips to A&E because I'd broken my toe, broken my arm, you know, fallen down the stairs, done something stupid with my friends um, where, you know, you're all doing normal playground sort of things. And my, like, lack of coordination and com- combined with my, some would say fearlessness, some mm-hmm. would say stupidity, uh, led to many, many breaks. And my parents had no idea how to deal with all these challenges. And I had one teacher that spotted it. Whereas most teachers would say, you've written two sentences in an hour. Right. You're being lazy. Yeah. You know, you're clearly bright when you're yeah. speaking. You understand all of the topics, so just write the essay. And I'd be going, it's really hard. I can't, I can't write it. And I had one teacher that took me aside when I was 12 or 13 and said, have you had a special educational needs test? Have you ever like got looked at? I think mm. you might be like neurodiverse. And then after I got that assessment, and I sort of realised that the last like twelve years, everything fit into that category, yeah. and that I was struggling like almost for a reason. It became a lot easier to like sort and process and adapt and be more positive about things. And rather than just saying like, "Oh, I can't do that." I need to find a different yeah. way to do it. I imagine that must be quite liberating in a sense. Once you, that you, there's a, a reason for it. Yeah, it was a, it was a really positive age. experience. Yeah, we'll move on then because um, I'd like to talk on the back of that around um, advice for parents because you've you've neatly kind of uh, talked about challenges that go back to when you were diagnosed, uh, whether it be at primary school or, or secondary school. But if there are any parents, and I imagine there are parents who will be listening to this this podcast uh, because we have a massive audience, as I keep saying, you know, what would you say to parents who have a child with a, a neurodiverse condition or maybe recently diagnosed who are worried about how it will affect their career? What do you, th- any views on that? I'd recommend um, like not instantly take them out of their comfort zone, but try and encourage them. Because like, uh, as I said earlier, as I volunteered in a charity shop, and like, if I wasn't encouraged by my mum and dad to do it, I probably just wouldn't have done it, and then um, I wouldn't have learned how to talk to new people, like how to interact with people. So if I would have come and shown out without volunteering on um, in a charity shop, I would probably just make grunts and sounds rather than actually speaking normally. 
Okay. But um, I think it's also important to like help them learn like social interactions. Yeah. As well, like if they say something wrong, like don't tell them off, but like just correct them rather than because ah, okay. um, like in my experience, if I get told off rather than told I'm said something wrong, I sort of like feel down and then um sort of like get upset. Yeah. And then that opens up like a new a whole load of new issues. It's really interesting because it's almost similar to your point around work and feedback is yeah. just tell me, give me the feedback. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in from a parenting point of view is I like the correct over just don't tell tell your child off, you know, or get frustrated because yeah. parents get frustrated, you know, I get it. Yeah, it's like um I think it's like when I was diagnosed it sort of wasn't such a big deal because like my my primary school didn't have a like sort of like a special needs Mm. area so it's sort of like if you were had special needs you would just sort of with like everyone Mm. and uh and again with my secondary school so I was sort of like in the low so I could interact with people so I weren't in the special needs section but their special needs section was from the outside perspective really odd because it's basically like a bungalow with a caged area Right. So it's sort of like I don't sort of like look at that and I don't view that as correct way of behaving. So I think yeah. like allow them to interact with people so they know what yeah. to do and like they can learn from that experience. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, uh, I remember growing up many, many years ago, and there was always the uh, any form of student had special needs was put into a separate block, and I always felt there was a real disconnect there that you're not actually helping anybody by separately almost having yeah. When they had lessons, they were allowed to go the actual lessons for like all the other students but they had like um a helper with them yeah but then uh they weren't when they had to do like paired up work or teamwork it, they were sort of i wouldn't say left out yeah but uh they were sort of like alienated so to speak because yeah. they're sort of like this misconception like as i said earlier it's like more hassle to work with so to speak yeah yeah that's not helpful at all is it i mean that's in many ways that's not just um advice for parents but advice for educators and Mm. and schools and teachers right it's sort of like they're not they're not weirdos they just need to learn yeah excellent thank you joel that's really really important um hayden um i think my biggest advice um for parents and uh, kids would be embrace mistakes and failure it's a positive thing. Mm. You can't get better at something without getting it wrong. Yeah. Probably lots and lots of times. And if every time something goes wrong, you make a deal out of it and you feel bad, it's going to want you to stop trying. But if every time something goes wrong, you go, okay, it doesn't work for me doing it that way. Mm. I'll come up with another way of doing it. I'll try it again. And like I'm going to just get better at things. Yeah. Then it's more like progression and you start to like appreciate your own tenacity. And I think as parents if you can be like patient and encouraging and any weird quirks or problem solves that the kids come up with by themselves or you notice if you can be like positive about it, I think it will make the whole experience better for everyone. Yeah. I think what you've explained there is the uh, the law of creativity and it actually brings it neatly into careers and in our industry, right? Because you you have to almost set 
set goals where people are allowed to fail and give people room to fail, particularly in your world of creative tech where it's all about experimentation and, you know, new approaches, right? Yeah. And Pierre, anything you'd like to add on the call? Well, um, I would like uh, to add uh, something. Well, uh, about the neurodiversity, uh, I believe uh, we we don't talk uh, about this uh, enough, and we need uh, absolutely uh, to do it more. Uh, if I have uh, advice for the studios, uh, I think we all should uh, make more advertising about the neurodiversity. Uh, for example, I made a VFX, a VFX video. Uh, talking about neurodiversity uh, in uh, my uh, Vimeo account, uh, just to give you a well, some kind of uh, inspiration. And uh, there is uh, uh, another more thing uh, I want to talk about. Uh, this is uh, about uh, uh, sexuality for uh, neurodivergent, uh, neurodivergent people. Uh, in my opinion, uh, neurodivergent people are more efficient by joining a LGBTQIA community because they have more sexual fluidity than a neurotypical. Uh, for example, I don't want to embarrass uh, someone, but uh, personally, uh, I am pansexual and heterosexual because I directly recognize the sexual diversity. Mm -hmm. uh, and I recognize uh, everything uh, uh, complex uh, naturally uh, in this planet. That's interesting, and I think, um, and I think um, there's that's a big uh, subject to tackle in the, the three minutes we have left on the, on the podcast. Um, but thank you for, for sharing uh, that, uh, Pierre. It's, it's appreciated, and I appreciate your vulnerability in, in sharing that as well. Um, as I say, we've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, are there any kind of final words we want we want to put out there to studios, parents, anything you want to kind of say? I mean, again, we've only got a few minutes, and there's a lot to talk about. I imagine there's a, a part three to this conversation because I've learned a lot in such a short space of time. But is there anything, any parting words for our, our listeners? Just like stay positive, fail faster and keep trying to be creative. Nice. Thank you. Joel. Let's say it's like, they're not different species. They're yeah. human. So treat them as a human. Absolutely. That's great advice. Pierre, any final words before we wrap up? Yeah, I just want to thank everyone uh, for this uh, podcast uh, and uh, for this uh, uh, opportunity. And uh, I recognize uh, uh, this is something uh, I don't have every day. Yeah. Well, I want to say a massive thank you to all three of you. Um, it's been uh, enlightening. I've learned a lot. And I think uh, people who listen to this podcast will learn a lot. And I think for me, it's just continuing this conversation because um as um as joe rightly said you know we're not dealing with a different species here we're just dealing with our colleagues our friends and we just need to, 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 to just understand people more ultimately um so that's my garbled conclusion uh, to this podcast thank you so much uh, thank you for listening and um stay tuned rate subscribe accessvfx.org get yourself a mentor all right have a good day guys all the best thank you cheers there we go end of another access vfx podcast we really hope you enjoyed it to find out more about what we discussed our mentoring program and events we're at then head over to our website at www.accessvfx.org and follow us on social media big thank you for listening and until next time 
Bye.